Hey friends, what's going on? Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey Allen. You are you. And here we are together in time. Once again, it's great to be here with you, to be hanging out. I hope that you're having a good day, that things are going well for you. Uh, hey, so I have a couple of cool things to share. One thing is that I I never talk about my Patreon uh, page here, but I have had one for quite some time, and I'm putting a lot more attention on it because I found it to be just a really great place to connect, to share things, and also to build community around a lot of the ideas that I talk about on the podcast. Uh, and so, you know, there's a couple of different tiers like to do it over there. You know, there's the the general one, and there's also a couple of other cool ones. I even added some uh, mentorship tiers. You can have like a private uh, call with me once a month. So a lot of great stuff going on over there. I do podcasts and guided meditations and Q and A's and all sorts of things like that. So if you would like to be a part of that, you can go over to patreon.com slash Corey Allen, and I'll put a link in the show notes. So you can click on that easily if you like. Also, uh, I have been working on a new meditation course. I released one probably five or six years ago at this point. Um, but this new one I uh, am working on, it's almost finished. It's going to probably hopefully launch in the next week or something like that. But it is a 12-part progressive path meditation course that takes you from the beginning all the way through, all the way through to the realization of the witness mind and a really deep, incredible type of liberation. I, I can't tell you how excited I am to share it with everyone and for you to check it out. So be on the lookout for that. It's called Coming Home. And if you sign up for my newsletter, you can be alerted whenever it's going to come out. So my guest on the show today is the great Eric Zimmer. Eric is the host of the One You Feed podcast, and he's also a behavioral coach and founder of the Spiritual Habits Program. I, I always have such an incredibly fun time talking to Eric because we've had a lot of similarities in our paths and also we've arrived at similar points of view, I think, around a lot of things. So it's always really fun to uh, go into that territory and, uh, and you know, connect. And I think in this podcast, we get into really, really cool things. And uh, I know you're going to dig it. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Whether it's hitting the gym, making time for your haircut, or even trying therapy, you are your greatest asset. So invest the time and effort in yourself like you do for other people. Uh, I really cannot um, get behind the idea of going to therapy enough. I mean, it is such a powerful way to talk out a lot of the things that are, you know, that you're holding in and to get them outside of yourself. I mean, there's something really big to be said about feeling certain emotions or having certain kind of things or even, you know, lowercase t traumas that have happened in your life. And you can sort through them in your mind, but there is something about getting them out into the world that lets you see them from a different perspective. And particularly when speaking with a licensed professional, um, it can be in incredibly transformative. And BetterHelp offers online therapy where you can have video, phone, live chat sessions with a the therapist. So you don't have to see even anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you'll be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Astro Hustle listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash astral. That's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash astral. Okay, my friends, the time has come. Let's go do it. Let's go talk to the brilliant and wise Eric Zimmer. I think it's you know would be interesting as far as you and I who have both been um, taking things from kind of Eastern Dharmic wisdom traditions and also you know the whole litany of uh, Western I think psychological uh, you know, playbooks to autodidactically learn those things, integrate them kind of blend them together and use them to change ourselves, just create this kind of toolkit over a long period of time to make these changes in ourselves and kind of measure them through self-reflection and then 
um, be able to kind of continue looking at what's next. I think it would be an interesting perspective for the listeners to talk about where either of us are at now to kind of show how that path continues and and what things keep emerging over a long period of time. So if if you're open to it, I'd love just to for an, for a starter to hear kind of where you're at with things, kind of anything that you're thinking about or anything that you're working on right now. Sure. I am um I decided this year I was going to focus on love. And I don't mean like my love life. I mean, um, my, my love life is pretty good. I've got a wonderful partner. I mean, love in the, the bigger sense of the word, right? And um, there's a few different reasons that I chose that, which we could get into. But what that has led to is a prime primarily a focus meditation wise on meta practice, which is not something I had done more than dabbling in now and again over the years. You know, I've known about it for years. I have, you know, done, done a meta practice here, a meta practice there. I've actually, um, one thing I meta most made its way into my life. I, when I'm on public transportation, I tend to just look around and sort of, you know, do meadow wishing for everybody, um, loving kindness practice, but I've actually made it a focus of my meditation this year primarily. And that's a, that's definitely a change for me. So that's, that's one thing that's definitely, uh, happening and on my mind as far as my, you know, what I'm working on. Now, what was it that brought that to the forefront of your attention and focus? Yeah, it was, um, I can give you the, uh, reason that I have in my head. Um, and then I think some of it is probably just an intuitive pull that I can't really speak to the, 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 part in my head is I read somebody saying something about their work and they said that their creative process just goes all to hell as soon as fear creeps in. And I thought a little bit about that. And I thought about like, when does my work feel heaviest to me? And I realized it was when fear creeps in. And, um, so that caused me to think, well, okay, what, you know, what, what's with that? And the, the phrase came to mind, I don't know that I completely agree with the phrase 100% of the time, but it came to mind, which was that, you know, love is the antidote to fear. So that's kind of what got me thinking along that path. And the more I thought about it, the more I went, yeah, that feels like a good focus for the year. Like, let's, let's see if that would be helpful. I also think it's somewhat that I have a tendency towards uh, intellectualization or um, being in my head. And I wanted to work on, you know, more heart opening things. You know, when I think about love, I often realize that I think I understand loving action to be what's most important there. And I feel like I've gotten good at that. I'm not perfect at it by any stretch of the imagination, but I feel like, okay, I've made a lot of progress there, but sometimes it feels a little dry. It's like, I mm -hmm. know it's the right thing to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. I, yeah. and, and I, and I don't mean the right thing to do from like a, uh, like I'm, you know, I'm judged. It's the right thing. I mean, like I've thought deeply about what matters to me and I go, oh, yeah, that's what matters. That's what's important but it does feel sort of dry. So I think a combination of all those things led me to say, all right, love is the, the thing that I want my spiritual practice to be about this year. And then that's led at least to an early in the year commitment to meta practice. Mm, that's really cool. And you touched on a lot of interesting things. I mean, one, just particularly the like intellectualizing everything and even in moments where it should be like hypothetically one would have an emotional reaction. You just send it through the data processor where it's like, yes, the receipt that comes out says that that is, very, you know, like the, the, the reports say, like I'm sitting next to the 1950s computer that's like printing out just endless dot matrix paper. I'm reading the analysis and it says like, yes, this is a, a, you know, a moment of compassion, but yet it's not like running through your emotional body. You know, it's just, and I, I right. totally relate with that where it's kind of a weird thing. Cause it's like, 
it's not wrong and it's not it's not bad per se but it it, it is probably not balanced you know yeah yeah <laughs> and uh, i totally resonate on that but um yeah the the love kind of versus fear thing i do think that's interesting um thing you know like phrase or whatever it, and it makes sense in the sense that it is difficult i think it's derived from that it's difficult to if not impossible to hold two counter um, or conflicting emotions simultaneously. So I think maybe the idea is that if you're in a fear state and you try and focus on love, it's just, you can't, it's like being happy and sad at the same time. Like it just doesn't really compute. It doesn't make sense. So you can sort of like pull or push the weight over to another direction. But um, even more interestingly, whenever you mentioned how fear kind of makes one's work or, or one's, you know, progress throughout their day different or destable. I I was just thinking about this and what I was thinking of like how fear it first attacks your confidence. Mm-hmm. And that's a really interesting aspect of it is that like, cause you, if you feel comfortable in life and you're kind of going through and doing all the things like those things are possible because you have this kind of sense of self-belief that allows you to have the conviction to go through and do them. But whenever then fear arises, it just like it's like a daisy cutter that just slashes your confidence because not only do you feel like now the unknown in which you're putting your work or your conversation or whatever into it becomes um, uh, unknown in a threatening way as opposed to unknown in, in a curious exploratory way, that makes you hesitate and hesitate then creates this feedback loop where you start feeding back you know, your mind into your body, then your confidence goes because you're like, oh, I no longer feel comfortable in the terrain. And then yeah. that translates, that's like a, like you become possessed by the fear and it then manifests in your physical actions where you, then you actually create that, you know, the results of that thing by having that hesitation and that, you know, self-criticism and kind of worry as you go through your normal existence. Yeah. And I think in my case, it it feels even more subtle than that. Although you've described the basic process, I think that what it does with me is, yeah, it causes that lack of confidence. And um, I have, as I've gotten older, I think a combination of getting older and some, some pretty strong ego uh, depletion moments, and I mean that in a good sense, have have rendered my, my desire to feel like I have to prove myself. Um, it kind of has gone away and there's a lot of good about that. But the bad about that is that if fear sneaks in and I start to doubt what I end up getting is just like, I don't want to like, I just feel tired and I feel like I don't want to, I don't even know that I'm necessarily that afraid or doubtful. It's just that it, what it shows up for me is it just shows up as avoidance. Mm. And it's, it's very subtle though, because I don't notice very consciously like, oh, I'm scared. But like you said, it's this, it's this very subtle process, but it does come from, it's this, it's this almost sub sub perceptual feedback loop of, yeah, like you said, that happens, then I feel tired. And then I feel like I don't have the energy to do this. And if I don't have the energy to do it, I'm not going to do it well. And, and it just causes me to sort of withdraw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's amazing how humans are just masters of like post event, uh, processing and justification and like rationalizing everything, <laughs> you know, and if you, you th- I like there's, you know, this, um, it's, it really is kind of what makes us us is that like our brain is just constantly notating everything that's happening. And we really are only like half aware of what we're experiencing until we then have time to like look at our data in the past and like integrate the memory of the experience, which then it perceptually becomes even more diluted at that point, <laughs> you know, but, and then we kind of like, oh, well, let's, it's really like making a show and like, well, we got some raw film, but we'll cut it together and post like in the way that we like to get a good scene. <laughs> and that's sort of yep. what we do, you know? And when we're facing those challenging moments, it's super easy to just like, you know, as you said, lean into an avoidance and then like paint kind of a, a reasonable picture afterwards where you're still the, the hero. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So whenever you recognize that happening, how have you been able to, to try and disrupt that process and kind of 
move towards what you're avoiding, if at all. Yeah, I I think that a couple of things come to mind. You know, one is I try and notice what am I focusing on? And usually what I'm focusing on is some sort of external metric that's comparative. So I'm comparing the number of downloads our podcast has to Tim Ferriss, and I'm feeling like, well, shit, <laughs> why, why bother? Um, so, so something like that is happening. Um, or I am, or, or I'm, or I can't, I can't quite catch that that's happened. That may have happened in passing. I didn't even really notice it or, um, or I'm feeling, uh, overwhelmed and either way, my basic, my basic, um, approach is to try and just recognize what I'm feeling and then get back to what it is that I want to be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so it's a, you know, I, I refer to it as sort of emotional regulation, right? Which it's, which I just define as working with my thoughts and emotions skillfully enough that I can act according to my values. So I go, all right, well, I'm feeling avoidant. Maybe I'm feeling a little bit afraid. Again, that's so subtle that it's hard for me to pick up. Um, so I notice I'm feeling that, but what I do feel generally is not up to the task. You know, mm. that maybe I, I don't have any ideas. I can't think of the right thing to, to do or to say, or, or more broadly tired. Um, and so then I just try and go, okay, that's what's happening. And I've really been doing a lot of um, very simple sort of, I guess, you know, parenting, or if you don't want to use that word, coaching myself, where I simply just say to myself, I remember I said this last week, I said, I was feeling really tired. It was like one in the afternoon. I had a full afternoon of stuff. I was feeling, I had this, that tired feeling. And my brain was just in that, like, oh my God, I can't do it. It's too much, you know? And I just went, Mm -hmm. hold on a second. Like, Eric, you have felt tired in the afternoon and had a lot of work to do thousands of times at this point in your life. I mean, it's just right. Like people, we get tired in the afternoon. You know, I work through every afternoon, broadly speaking, this has happened thousands of times. And I just went, you know what? Every single time I've been able to do it every single time I've gotten through it. So you can do it again this time. And for me, that often is just enough. Recognize what I'm feeling, a little bit of kindness to myself, repoint myself in the direction of what's important to me and, you know, a small internal pep talk that sort of basically just says you can do it. Mm, it's I not real that. fancy, but it works. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's just like something I put on Instagram recently, which was like negative self-talk is allergic to facts. So if you just like, if you're yeah. in that zone and you just remember some, like actually what you've done and how you've handled that before. Like, oh yeah. This is like nothing, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I totally, I do the exact same thing where like it, it, it actually, in, it usually results in me laughing at the absurdity of like how precious I'm being where like, I'm, you know, <laughs> where I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, I feel tired and I'm trying to like write something or like, you know, do emails or like res- whatever it is. And I'll, I'll feel that same thing, that malaise that you're talking about. And like, my mind doesn't feel as clear or as focused as I would like, as I know it can be, let's put it that way. And I'm like, yep. well, maybe I should just stop for now, you know? And I'm like, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, I, like, as if I have to be some like, like levitating on the top of a mountain to deal with emails. Like, it's like, just, <laughs> just you know what I mean? It's so preposterous. Yep, yep. It's like, it'll be fine. Just push through it. And you know, you've done it a million times before. And it's right. going to be all right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And I mean, there's certainly times where depending on the task we are about to embark on, we might go, well, this isn't the best time to do that task. You know, there, Mm -hmm. there, there is some being wise about that, but broadly speaking, um, you know, I, I find it's better to try and do what I have planned than 
do what I feel. I mean, this is something I work with coaching clients on all the time. It's this very basic idea of like, all right, let's separate decision from action. Let's decide ahead of time what we're going to do when based on this wiser version of myself that, that can see the big picture that has perspective. And then let's not, then when it comes time to do things, let's not move back into deciding again. Oh, should I, shouldn't I just stay out of that? And try and trust that the self who came up with the plan is wiser than the self who shows up at three at three in the afternoon. Yeah. You know, um, again, that's not a hard and fast rule, but I've often said like, we don't want our moods driving our actions, particularly if you have a mood system like mine. I mean, that, we know where that ended in my case, right? It ended up with, you know, a homeless heroin addict. So my moods are not a good, um, they're not the star. best thing for me to follow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They're not, they're not a very good compass. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's really good, man. It's it's and it's tough to recognize it about yourself whenever your instincts are wrong, you know, where <laughs> it's like, okay, but then you can you can kind of like see that about yourself and then know when they're wrong and it becomes this kind of learning tool where it's like, okay, well, like just we we recognize that that doesn't work. And then, and it's not good. And then we'll, whenever it arises, we'll just kind of remember how we need to treat that aspect of self in those situations to have historically what is a good outcome. Right. Yeah. That, that idea of, uh, of trust in our instincts or trust in our intuition, I think is a really interesting topic also. Um, you know, when to, and when not to, I think is a, is a fascinating area to, to think about. Yeah, lay it on me. What do you, how do you split those two apart? Well, I, I actually don't split, I mean, instinct or intuition apart. Um, there's just a certain, there's a certain school out there that says, trust your instincts, trust your intuition all the time. Right. And, um, I don't think I agree with that. Right. I think that, um, I think our intuition can certainly lead us astray very often, or, I suppose um, a lot of things can get confused into intuition, right? And mm -hmm. and so, you know, if you like, let's say you've been you were abused as a as a child, right? You're going to respond to situations out of fear, and that's going to feel very, very intuitive. It's going to feel very instinctual. It's going to feel very real. And if you're of that mindset, like I should trust how I feel then that's going to lead you astray a lot of the time. Um, so knowing, but, but yet at the same time, gut feelings are not something to be completely thrown away either, right? There, there is a trust in our intuition. So I find, you know, trying to think through when to do what to be a fascinating topic that I don't have all the answers for, but I find it a, a, a very interesting topic. And as I've, you know, as I've read books over the years, I sort of see, I see those two schools uh, espoused. One school is like, you, you, you know, very suspicious of that. And the other school is like, you should just always trust your intuition. And um, I'm obviously more, more nuanced than that. Yeah, I, I'm very suspicious of any school that says this is the way to handle anything. It's like, no, yeah, yeah. like, like nothing is everything is a is very complicated mixture of, as you said, nuance, and there's no one size fits all for anything in life. It's just it's a nice story. You know, it's a yeah. it's a good way to like market a, a solution or a method, but it's simply just not true. It's not just not applicable to reality. Right. Yep. Yep. 100%. How do you think about that? That topic? Yeah. Well, I mean, you make a great point as far as like, um, someone who has had some traumatic experience certainly shouldn't listen to that feeling that arises because it's, it's a reactive feeling to, you know, trauma and it's, it's creating fear. It's going to you know make that worse. Certainly. I mean, that's a really, really interesting point. I hadn't thought about that before. Um, but I think that, I guess the way that I look at it is like, you're, let's just kind of marry instinct and intuition a little bit, you know, cause I, if I had to define those, I would say instinct is, you know, based off of uh, evolutionary psychology in the sense that it's like our mm -hmm. animal senses and we could call intuition a more kind of modern intellectual sort of wordless knowing that we feel it feels right for some reason, but we might yep. not even be able to describe it. So yep. let's just yep. kind of mold those together. Right. 
into one unified organism. Um, I think that to me, like I pay attention to it and I listen to it, but I, and I, I use it as a sense of like, this feels right to me right now. And I'm going to apply some, a little bit of intellectualization to it to sort of triangulate it with objective reality real quick. And if I'm unclear, like if it, like why I'm feeling that that's the right thing to do, I typically will move in that direction gently anyway, because at the end of the day, as a subjective consciousness, it's really the only sale that we have that we can put wind behind because we can't really like, well, if this feels right, like it, it's just all you have to work with, like the, the kind of internal dialogue of like sense and your compass. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, after vetting it a little bit and not being reactive, which is a very important part of it, like not, not being reactively responding you know, with your in, your instinct your intuition but like feeling the thing being patient with it and then kind of decoding it a little bit and asking some questions like okay why do i feel this does this make sense is this a you know kind of a, a wholesome feeling um that is true and, and it's not a, a reactive one or something like that it's not a conditioned response then i'll generally move forward with it a little bit because i think you know this is sort of what we have as humans to guide us. And so let's use it, but knowing that it's not necessarily like I always have in mind, like it's not right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just a sense and I'm going to like, but it's what I've got to deal work with. And so I'm going to go with it always knowing that I may need to change course at any time. Yeah. I think that's a great way of thinking about it. I love, you know, sort of saying like, that's, that's the primary sale that we have. And yeah, I do think it is a, um, it's a very useful piece of information and, you know, all things being equal, it's the piece of information I, I would follow. I think we all do, even if we think we don't, we tend to follow our emotion, right. And, and, and rationalize as we talked about earlier, sort of afterwards, um, but I do think it is worth, this is where, so, let me back up and say, this is where self-knowledge I think is so valuable. And this is where, you know, lots of time in the trenches of getting to know ourselves is really valuable because we start to know our habitual reaction patterns. We start to know, oh, I tend to just veer to the right. So if, you know, and from looking at past experience, I've seen like, oh, yeah, I, I keep sort of falling off, you know, the road to the right a little bit. Right. So mm -hmm. that next time our brain goes, go right, go right. We're like, oh, hang on a second. Like, <laughs> slow down. Is it really a good idea? You know, uh, I think the I, I've heard this quote attributed to the spiritual uh, teacher, the Thai monk, Ajahn Chah. And it was mm -hmm. something along the lines of, he said, if I've got a student who's about to fall off uh, the road to the ditch in the right, I push him left. If I've got a student who's about to fall off the road into the ditch on the left, I push him right. And I love that quote because it speaks to we've got to know ourselves or if I'm working with somebody in coaching, I've got to know that person because we can't just say, well, yeah, go right, go right, go right. You know, because for some of us, we just tend to go right. So to say to somebody, trust your intuition might be really wise for somebody who thinks about things way too much. Like, yeah, we got to go with your gut, man. But we may have other people whose guts are really bad. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, like enough. Jeffrey Dahmer, just go with yeah. your gut, man. You got it, this. It, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so kind of knowing ourselves is very helpful as we start to go, okay, you know, yeah, what I, what feels natural to me is, um, is, is good information. I think yeah. it's the source. I think it's the source of both, um, some of our deepest wisdom and some of our most conditioned patterns. And they're very hard to tell apart at that level. And mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, self-knowledge becomes very helpful in that regard. Absolutely. And I, I love that little story you shared about the, the teacher, um, you know, having either people pushing left or right. And that's so such a beautiful Zen perspective because it's like the left or the right, let's say side of the road to make sure we're cutting politics out of this, the left or the yeah. right, um, they, they are, 
there people one some people will fall one way some people fall the other way some people will go back and forth but none none of them are are right or wrong they're just ways that's right and wherever you are on that path and this is what the teacher is trying to do is it it's not about the fact that like it's not good or bad things are happening things are just happening but it's about your perspective and how you respond and engage with what's happening that not only creates your your subjective experience of it but then the outcome of how you're living through that moment yep so like you mentioned earlier and I'm, i just i've been trying to do this more and more like imagine again as i said kind of at the top of this podcast you and i've been thinking about this stuff for decades and we're both old men now but <laughs> <laughs> um I try to think about like, let's say that someone, you know, a lot of listeners to this podcast are like 25 or something. Mm-hmm. Let's say for, for them, whenever you mentioned, you know, this self-knowledge that's so useful, mm-hmm. how would you suggest that somebody just start learning that? Because that probably sounds really nebulous to some listeners. Like how can someone begin getting that self-understanding? That is a really good question that I don't know that I have a great answer for. Um, but it comes down to some measure of paying close attention to what you feel, what you think, and what you do. And keeping, and keeping some, um, some track of that. And I don't mean tracking it like on a, on a chart, but knowing that over time. So I was very fortunate in at, you know, 25, I got, I I had burnt my life to the ground and I got sober in a 12 step program and 12 step programs have a way of doing self-knowledge. There's something that's known as a fourth step, um, different, you know, different people do them slightly differently, but it's called a, you take a fearless and moral inventory done right. What it does is you start to realize what are the ways that you get in your own way? What are your patterns of getting in your own way? Um, you know, and so we, you know, we looked at resentments, we looked at fear, we looked at the, you know, our sexual conduct, we looked at, we looked at these things. And so, and then you go through after that and you sort of take a eighth and ninth step where you go, well, who have I harmed? And let me go out and try and make that right. And then here comes the, 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 all that's really important. And then comes the, 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 the key, I think, uh, which makes it ongoing is there's something called a 10th step. And the 10th step says, continue to take fearless and moral inventory. And when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Now drop out words like moral and inventory. If you don't like them, right They're they're unimportant. The, the key is you're looking at yourself closely as objectively as you can. And in the 10th step, you're, we used to do that every day, every night you'd go to bed and, and, you know, we had these little, you know, you had a, you could have a worksheet if you, you know, if you wanted, and you could just go fill out the worksheet or go through it. But each night you were looking at like, okay, how'd I do today along some of these measures? Um, you know, Ben Franklin, you know, is a, is another way that, you know, he had his, his list of, of virtues and he would, would work on one for a while and keep, you know, keep track of it. And how did I do today with it? So that's how I did it. And then over time, that 10th step just became, I, for lack of a better word, it became something that happened more in real time for me mm-hmm. where I just look at like, okay, what's happening? You know, why am I, why am I behaving or feeling the way I am? What's going on inside me? And, um, and knowing kind of having some target to which I want to aim at also. So I think doing some work on what your values are, getting clear on, on values so that, you know, like, okay, this is the kind of person I want to be when I'm not, when I'm not doing that, okay, what is it? What's getting in the way? Um, so that's kind of how I did it. I feel very, very fortunate that I was in a program that just made that such a core part of, of what I did to the point that it eventually became, um, sort of second nature, but there was a lot of therapy work in there too, you know, and, and reading, you know, lots of reading and, and, but, beyond reading, actually trying to say, well, how does that apply to me? Mm. You know, I think that's one thing that we 
broadly speaking, and I, and I am, I am as guilty of this as the next person. Um, we don't spend enough time um, applying what we read and learn, like really reflecting on it. Like, Oh boy, Eric and Corey talked about X, you know, how does that apply to me? Do I do that? What situations does my intuition get in the way? What, what situations does it help? Let me spend some time and really think about that. That's where this stuff goes from being something we listen to and are mildly entertained by to something that becomes a little more transformational. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's whenever I hear, you know, I know uh, plenty of people who are executives and they like, I read a, a book, a, a book a week or a book every, you know, three days or whatever. And it's cool. That's really cool, man. Now, uh, out of the last 20 that you read, what are the top 10 things that you find really useful? And they're like, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, well, yeah. what are you doing? You know, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? I, I'm uh, amazed by this. I like, I develop, I've got a, I've got a program I developed called spiritual habits. And then we've got a second version of it, which is sort of like, I'll just say it's, you know, spiritual habits too. It's the advanced version and the advanced version of it. I do way the first version. I do a fair amount of teaching. The second version, I do way less teaching. And it's fascinating to me that the feedback that I've gotten out of the first couple cohorts is, Eric, we just want you to talk for the whole two hours. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because it's easy. It's easier yep. than me saying, write about this, go into a small group with another person, share about this, reflect on this. Like, that's hard work. I mean, I'm, I'm asking people to dig deep into hard things. It's a whole lot more fun to just listen to me, you know, prattle on for, for another hour. And that's what, but that's what a lot of people want. It's, I mean, frankly, it's what I would rather do. I'd rather just read a book passively than sit and really reflect deeply on it. That's hard work, you know? So that's a natural bias, but but I'm, I'm so grateful that like, like I said, that I sort of, my, my, um, my introduction to all this was in AA and AA was at least the people I was around. They were, they were focused on action. You do this stuff. You don't think about it. You don't read about it. You do it. And that, that really helped me. Hmm. Yeah. And also now that sounds like spiritual habits to the revenge is now, now, now the habits are pissed off. You know, <laughs> They've come back to make you really do the work. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's like, I am not signing up for any of that crap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the spiritual, the revenge. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, that, I mean that. That really is the um, the meat and potatoes of all this stuff. Is really picking up the, the you know the the pen, the torch, the the sword, the whatever you, whatever metaphor you like, and and you know it, it feels. I mean, it all tracks back to you know a a um, we could say a, a formula of kind of how Buddhism originated, where it's like you study your mind. That when your mind yeah. becomes a teacher, yes. you're you're never without a master, you know. Yes, and that sounds I don't know spooky or whatever, but it's like no, you just begin to be present and observe your own behavior, good and bad. Yep. And just learn from every moment and reaction and emotion and like thing that you say and that you do and choice that you make. And, you know, we live in a culture, of course, that's so compressed and is so marketed for like instant successes and overnight fixes and stuff. But yep. the people, I think, maybe don't give themselves enough credit or time for that to incubate because like, well, I've been doing this, like the amount of people, this is the amount of people, I don't know if you've had the experience, but the amount of people that like I randomly will, that will come talk to me at like a, a gathering or something, or like a, I don't know, like a, some social event and they'll start like laying some, you know, philosophy on me or something like that. And like, you know, speaking with authority and they're typically like a younger person and they're like, well, you know, I've been uh, studying this stuff for six months and, you know, like, like, <laughs> and it's just like, I, it's like kind of sweet to me, you know, totally. I just be like, but I want to be like, cause I was that person, you know, for sure. Yes. Whenever I was younger, but I'm like, you got to understand, like, I'm, you know, over 20 years into it and I still feel like I'm just, 
you know, barely starting, you know, it's like, it's yeah. such a long process. Totally. Um, but, yeah. There's nothing. Yeah. We, I, you see that in, you know, I saw that in AA a lot too. And I was that way right around the two year mark. People get evangelical. Like they yeah. are like, I have found it. I know how to do it. I am going to teach you to do it. We should all be doing it. I mean, like, and it is, it's this deeply passionate thing and it is, you know, it, it, it is, it's limited, right? What you know at two years is very different than what you know at, 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 you know, at 20 years. And in some ways though, the fire that those people have for it is important and really brings something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, that's an interesting time. Like in whenever anyone gets interested in anything, but particularly the, the internal work stuff, because it's like ephemeral, you know, it's immeasurable other than through the like witness observation of the individual. Um, I can't believe I got all that out with st- stuttering. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but, I'm impressed. Uh, uh, um, like the the challenging thing is is in those moments, it's really that fire is an interesting form of like energy that's like fueling the whole thing and positive growth. But at the same time, the delusion that's happening is that fire crystallizes a image of identity, like an identity structure that isn't real. Yeah. And yeah. it just takes time to pull that apart. I don't know if that's to like burn off or something, because then like around the same time that you sort of cool down and you stop trying to prophetize everyone that I self-identifying as that character sort of kind of cools out a little bit as to, and okay, I can be, I can be into this stuff and also just like be a person as opposed to like having to go around being that, that person all the time. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You know, and I think that, um, one thing I'm curious about, I don't know, actually, I don't know that we've talked about before what your religious inclinations are or have been. Um, but I, I know that in the 12 step program, there is an, uh, a part that suggests that it's important to, you know, admit that there's a higher power of some sort. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. How, how did you yeah, work with yeah. that? It's well, that's interesting that that's not a short answer, which you might expect. So I'll give you the the middle length answer. When I got sober the first time, it was 1994 in Columbus, Ohio. Um, Long time ago, right? There was, you know, there was no mindful magazine at this time. Let's put it that way. Like spiritual meant God. And it meant Christian God in central Ohio in 1994. That was what was more or less on offer. Um, It's a different world now. But then that's what was here. But and I was so desperate. I was in such bad shape um, that I went, okay. you tell me I have to believe in God. I'm going to believe in God. And, And that meant I believe in an interventionist God who comes in and gets me sober. And um you know, part of me knew I didn't really believe that, but I, I shoved that part of me down <laughs> into mm-hmm. a corner and was like, stay, nope, we cannot afford to think that. And so that worked well enough to get me sober. And it worked well enough, actually, that, you know, I was able to have some, some real change in my life. And then something happened in my life. My, my wife left me when my son was two and she fell in love with somebody who's a friend of ours. And, um, my life fell apart and I realized then that I did not have a spiritual life that made any sense to me, right? I had this very infantile sort of like, you know, if I do good things, then God will do good things for me. Like it just, <laughs> right. And, and all of a sudden I went, well, I'm doing good things. I'm sponsoring all these people. I devote my life to taking care of other alcoholics. And now this, and it just, it, it shattered. And that led to, you know, several years later, I went back and, and drank. I didn't drink mm. because that thing, because of like, I didn't drink over my, my ex. I drank over the fact that I think I, th- that my spiritual life crumbled and that caused me to keep pulling away from AA. So I go out, I start drinking again. I don't go back to heroin, but fast forward a few years and I have to get sober again, right? It's not going well. Um, that's an interesting story in a, of itself, how differently those, how different those two moments look. Um, but, but that's not what we're talking about. So I come back and the only game I know about is AA. And again, there wasn't much else. This is 15 years ago. So two, you know, early two thousands still, you know, there's no such thing as recovery Dharma floating around in Ohio. Um, <laughs> and so it's back to AA for me. And, 
but when I come back, I'm suddenly, I'm now back to your original question. I'm now face, face against this thing that says, you know, right in step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I had no problem with the insane thing, right? The way I drank is insane, <laughs> right? There's just, there's, you know, that was very clear. But what is this power greater than myself? And so I really wrestled and I went, you know what? I can't just make it up this time. And so, and then step three goes on to talk about God as we understand him. Um, and so I went, well, what, what do I believe? And I landed on sort of a, you know, mishmash of things that worked for me. Um, cause I don't believe in an interventionist God, right? I don't believe in a God that comes down and gets me sober. I just, that doesn't make sense to me. Um, so where I landed then was two things. One is I was, there's an acronym in AA that they use sometimes for God and they call it group of drunks hmm. or good orderly direction. And both those worked for me. I went, okay, yes, I do believe the reason that this AA thing works is because all these other people, right? It's being around these other people that works. So, okay, my higher power is, is this group, right? It, it's, it, it's what works and, I, and it's what works to help me to stay sober and good orderly direction also works. I know that my life goes better when I l live sort of a certain way. And from that evolved for me an idea that there were certain principles out there that if I lived according to them, I could a stay sober and I could b handle whatever life brought my way. Mm. And that that crystallized into something that worked for me. Now, as my spiritual path went on and I started to have experiences of, you know, unity and transcendence, um, th that all broadened a little bit, um, didn't turn into an interventionist God, but it became a little more mystical than something as, as dry as by living according to these principles, I can stay sober. It, 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 it opened up some, but that's, that's how I sort of threaded that needle. Interesting. Yeah. That's really, that makes a lot of sense. And that's a beautiful, I, I like how straight to the point, the group of drunks acronym is uh, yeah. because it's, it's, it's very honest, but it's, it's very beautiful at the same time. You know, it's like it, and I think that it's a great way for anyone a kind of a great insight for anyone to have is that like typically in the moments where we're suffering, you know, it's really hard for us to allow ourselves to be kind of open to receiving help from other people. And like one individual, you know, we, we can't really, we're not really designed to just handle it all, you know, no. to, like for, uh, you, you need to understand that you, other people are there for a reason. And to allow your, I think allowing yourself to be there or, you know, take, um, take some of their time, you know, ask for some of their time or their help, uh, in a situation is really what can keep you balanced and keep you accountable and, and happy and, and whatever. I mean, you know, just a, a good example. It's like anytime, you know, a friend of mine mentions that they're like having a rough time, I'm just like, Hey, well, let's go, like, let's go have lunch and just let's be silly and just talk and whatever, because, a lot of times that's like, that's what we need is just someone else to, to have that moment with and to kind of get that, that external connection and that outside set of eyes to help kind of refocus you outside of yourself. And it really just takes the pressure off and helps you feel supported. You know, it's a, yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful way you looked at it. Yeah, it's really important. I mean, I, I do think it's a really important and very easy to neglect part of the spiritual path. You know, the Buddha mm -hmm. was pretty clear about it, right? I mean, he talked pretty clearly about, you know, Sangha being like critically important. You know, it wasn't like, well, you know, once in a while. No, I mean, he was like, look, you know, there's there's some story where his attendant Ananda asked him, is it, you know, is is it half the spiritual path? And uh, according to this this reading, you know, the Buddha said, no, it's the whole spiritual path. Now, again, I think he might've been overstating that. Uh, you know, we, we talk about the, the, the triple jewel in Buddhism, right? Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, but they're all equal. And we tend to be focused on, uh, to our point earlier, we tend to be mostly focused on, um, if we take 
if depending on how we translate those words, the word Dharma often means teaching. That's where a lot of us are focused. Like, just teach me. Just keep mm-hmm. teaching me. Keep, keep keep feeding me knowledge, right? And that's an important part of the spiritual path, but it's one out of the three things that has traditionally been emphasized as, as critical. And I think if you look at any mature wisdom tradition, you'll see that community is a key element of it. And it's missing for most of us in our, in our spiritual life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So if we could look at you know, Dharma, obviously people are, are pretty hip to that right now. And as far as modern terms go, and then Sangha, people have it in some way or another, hopefully, whether mm-hmm. that's an actual physical one or their friends, or even listening to podcasts, it's like a digital Sangha in their brain, you know, just hearing other people conversate mm-hmm. about the things. How do you think that the, the Buddhist Buddha aspect presents itself in modernity? Well, I find this, you know, I find these three things interesting because you can talk about them in lots of at, at lots of different layers. But to me, the Buddha one points to a um, a belief in our own ability to awaken. Um, and I don't quite know. I, I think that we might say that practice falls might fall under we might say it might fall under that that buddha element of it in that we 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 put ourselves in a position in silence where we we have more of a chance to awaken um so that's that's one way of of taking the that you know buddha dharma and sangha is to say you know buddha is not the historical buddha although some people do take it that way but that that it is our own ability to awaken mm-hmm. or Beautiful. said differently you might say our own ability to recognize we're already awake right absolutely yeah i i agree with that fully i, I think it's the the belief in the individual you know and it's like cool now you have belief in the individual now teach the individual you know and then go talk about it you know and get some yeah. feedback and and whatever um well cool man well i know you got to get out of here um but you know as always eric it's just it's such a, a real joy to um speaking of dwelling in joy it's a, a dwell a joy <laughs> it's a joy to dwell in joy with you man you're such a a wonderful person and um so full of beautiful insight and perspective so thanks again for coming on man you are very welcome i feel like we we scratched the beginning surface of the question you answered in the beginning uh, or you, you asked in the beginning. Um, boy, it flew by. So yeah, I, I love talking with you. So thank you so much for having me on. All right. Thanks, man. <laughs>